All right, well, I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday School, Junior High and Senior High Sunday School. Um, I know this may seem like a weird thing, but uh, actually, we didn't join you. You joined us today. So you're in the youth ministry. And uh, this message today is in our series. Um, uh, we're talking about holiness with the, uh, with the students. And um, we say, uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, First Timothy 4.12. But set in examples for the believers in speech, which was last week, and in life, which is this week. And so, uh, Pastor Dan uh, sent me this uh, message topic, and uh, it's a pretty interesting one. It's God is demanding, or following God is demanding. And I was like, you know, this is right up my alley. I like to push people. I like to challenge them to get into ministry, drop their excuses, quit their jobs, go, you know, just get in here and do something, right? Uh, it's my exciting thing. that I, I thought, I'm a natural at this one. That's probably why he picked me. And uh, I, I thought, this is good. And then take up your cross and follow me was the passage. And I thought, this is going to be a piece of cake. And as I began to study this week, I started to sweat. This passage is complicated. It's interconnected. It's intricate. And I'm going to have a challenge with it. I knew it. And, and so if you ask my wife, was Justin sweating this week? I was sweating. Uh, this is a challenge. And so a as we get into it here, I'm just going to ask... Uh, the master's blessing on the amateur, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your truth that changes our lives and gives us new perspective and gives us a reason to hope and live and live with joy despite the, uh, the deserts we go through and the challenges we go through. So God, as we, uh, as we explore your word today, I just pray that uh, our hearts would be open, that our lives would be willing to submit, and we would be ready to go about your work. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our passage today comes out of a region, and it's important to understand the region. Uh, it's Caesarea Philippi, and so it's in the north. Uh, of, it's way north Israel, um, at the top of the Great Lake up there. And, so, uh, and it's a great city with a lot of different people coming to it. And so it's the largest region, uh, or largest city in the region. And so uh, as Jesus goes up here, he takes the, the, tw the disciples with him, and so he he moves into the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, or Caesarea. There's a lot of way, different ways we might say it. But um, he comes into this region, and this region is well known for its worship of the god Pan. Okay? And so Pan is the Greek god of lust. Uh, and it's, so it's, I'm, it's about to get a little graphic here, isn't it? No, I'm going to hold back. Um, but it is, he is the Greek god of lust, uh, and he is celebrated particularly in this area. Uh, Worshiping him uh, involves some pretty disgusting practices that our junior hires are in here, so I won't talk about those either. But let's just say it's M-rated. Uh, it's mature. It's very mature. And, and to discuss it is, is a little bit upsetting, but they would do some vile things to worship Pan. And in, in this area, there is a cave um, that uh, they worshiped Pan in front of. And so I'm going to bring up a picture here of that cave. And they believe this cave was the entrance to Hades, or the place of the dead. And so Jesus is speaking from this area. Now it's well known that Jesus would bring his disciples to places that were very uh, well-traveled by people, or highly populated areas. And this particular area was very highly populated, and people in a spiritual mood. Not in a good way, though. Three temples were dedicated to Pan out front. Not one, three in front of this. Now, none of those still exist today, but the cave is still there. 
Uh, and so the, the temples to worship Pan and to participate in all this uh, debauchery was out front. And Jesus takes his disciples right into this area. It's purity amidst the defiled, right? Uh, he has taken, shown the disciples that you are not to stay away from the world, but you are to go in it, but be pure while you're in it. You're to affect it and change it, right? So that comes out of our Sunday school lesson. But uh, that is what he calls us to do. Go in, it's purity amongst the defiled. And he gets to this region, and he starts to ask the disciples uh, a few questions. But before I go into those, this cave uh, is where Hades, the god of the dead, was supposedly dwelling. And he had gates, which he held the dead in. So that's the understanding, is the gates of Hades are the, where the souls, und, or disembodied souls of the dead would go into this cave and he would lock them in with gates. And he held the keys. And he, you know, he was kind of like death himself. Okay? And so he held the souls in. And so uh, God, uh, you know, Jesus kind of speaks to this situation. And as he walks into this area, he asks the disciples, my disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do they say that I am, right? Uh, what are they saying about me? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And so they're, they're saying that Jesus is a great prophet. Uh, and among those two prophets, those were some pretty intense guys. Uh, Elijah, who brought fire, right, calls down fire from heaven. He's intense. John the Baptist, who uh, screams in the face of the religious people of the time, right? Uh, and so we're in the second year, probably, of Jesus' ministry, and he's getting them ready for the next phase. He's about to introduce something pretty disturbing to them. Uh, and so he says, who do you think I am? And John the Baptist, Elijah, uh, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And then he turns the question to them specifically. Okay, I know who they say they are, that I am. Who do you think I am? You're closest to me. You know me. You've seen this. What do you guys say? Are you figuring it out yet? And a guy named Simon, whose name is soon changed, steps up to the plate. And he says, uh, God says about what, or Jesus says that God gave him this answer. That this was not, he didn't figure this out on his own. That God revealed to him this answer. And Peter says, you are the, or Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's a pretty bold statement. That is not calling him a prophet. That is calling him God in flesh, Right? the Son of the living God. Uh, you are God present among us. And that's a pretty strong statement. And as a result of, of his saying this, Jesus says, you will no longer be called Simon, son of John. You will be called Petros. Okay? Petros, which is, uh, is rock. And so his name is changed to Peter. Okay? So Petros, or Peter. And it's, he says, upon this rock, right? Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, he changes it. When he calls Peter a name, he calls him Petros, right? And then when he says, upon this rock, Petras, he changes it to the female. So it's not actually the same name. And Jesus is getting a point here, giving a, bringing a point across. He's not building the church on Peter the guy or establishing some kind of divine leadership. What he's saying is, upon your statement, Peter, Upon the statement that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Now, where are they standing, right? Right outside the gates of Hades. And he says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. 
Now, this is uh, a pretty uh, direct point um, that Jesus gets to. Um, When he says the gates of Hades, he's referring not to hell, not to the place where the devil lives or going up against the devil, but he's talking about going into the place of the dead, right? He's talking about breaking into the place of the dead. And so it's a very specific thing, a very location-specific. He may have even been pointing to it when he was there. He's in the region. That's, we have to assume that that's what he's talking about, right? So he's not talking about the devil's domain. He's talking about the place where the dead await. And so Jesus essentially says to them, the main point here, I, as the Messiah, am going to break into Hades and take the keys of life and death. Then I will give them to you. Now, that's a pretty crazy statement. I mean, if anything that would scare us is that you're going to break into the, into the place of the dead, that you're going to wrestle and get the keys of life and death and bring them out and hand them to the disciples. And he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you unlock on earth will be unlock, uh, unlocked in heaven. He's giving them these keys to tell them, guys, I'm giving you the pass to heaven. And so you go about the mission of unlocking heaven for people, getting people in. I'm giving you the power to accomplish the Great Commission. I'm giving you the gospel. Are you ready for this? Because I'm the Messiah and that's what I do. So he's not saying we're going to go attack hell. We're not going to go beat up the devil. He's saying I'm going to bust into the place of the dead and take over. Right? And so he's the new king of the dead, right? He's, He's in charge of what happens to our souls because of what he does, right? Um, And so he will be the one to judge us. And it's at this point, Jesus kind of says to them, now guys, don't tell anybody this until after it has happened, until after I've come back from the dead, right? Until after it's all done. So keep it on the down low, guys. Quiet. And so uh, then he goes into our passage for today. Now, Justin, why did you just tell us a different passage And now go into another passage. Well, these two are so connected, I couldn't separate them. Uh, They draw points from each other that are pretty strong. And so uh, it says, from then on, so after the point where he explains to the the disciples, I'm going into Hades, he began began to tell his, his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. You see how the passages are connected? He says, I'm going in there. I'm going to the gates of Hades, and I'm going to bust and get them. And this is how I'm going to do it. When we go to Jerusalem next time in about six months, they are going to kill me. They're going to persecute me. They're going to put me on a cross. They're going to nail me there. They're going to destroy me. And I'm going to come back from the dead. So I'm going down there to get them, and I'm coming back. Is this crazy talk? I mean, if I were to hear this from somebody, I'd be like, you crazy. You're just going to stay dead, right? But Jesus is the Messiah. So I believe something else, right? Uh, Something awesome is going to happen. It says he uses straightforward language. How many of you heard Jesus talking? He's talked in parables. Jesus taught in parables. Have you heard that? Or Jesus taught with metaphors or analogies or or stories that held meaning below the surface, right? Uh, That's what he normally talks in. This is not one of these occasions. It is very plain. Guys, I'm not talking about a story here. Here's what's going to happen. Next time we go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. I'm going to try and step up to the plate. I'm going to claim myself as Messiah. 
So he says this. He said he would enter Jerusalem claiming to be the Messiah. Jewish leaders would resist violently, leading the people to reject, humiliate, torture, and crucify him. And he would be raised from the dead three days later. So these passages are really closely connected. He's laid out very clearly what he's going to do at the gates of Hades. I'm going to go down there. I'm actually going to die. And I'm going to come back with the keys of life and death, right? So, uh, uh, at this point, uh, we look at this plan, and Peter knows what crucifixion is. It is gory. It is terrible, and he's not happy about it. And so, let's continue to see what Peter does. Peter doesn't take it well. How is he going to go here? What is Peter going to say? So, Peter took Jesus aside, or took him aside, and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Now, does anybody want to say, time out, Peter, what are you doing? Now, hold on. Of all the nerve, you're going to come up to Jesus after calling him the rock? You know, after calling him the one on whom, you know, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, after he changes your name to the rock because you made that statement, right? After you did all this, you're now going to come up to Jesus and reprimand him? The Greek here is an is a emphatic and passionate rebuke. And he's getting up in Jesus' face and he's pointing to him. Right? Now, Lord of the universe is the one he's pointing to. You know, this is kind of a mistake on Peter's behalf. All of it. You know, that big mistake he makes, right? Uh, this is wrong. He says, Jesus, you're wrong. Heaven would forbid such a terrible thing from happening to you. And so I want to identify something. What motivated Peter to disagree with what Jesus said? What did he want to get out of it? You know, what did he want to... What was motivating him? And I think it's, it's something that's mentioned later in the passage, but it's this retreating, bless me only, Lord, prosperity gospel. Right? It's just, it's all about what I want and what I can get and blessing me and... And that seems to be the motive. God, and God, this would never happen to you, right? And so here's what I kind of, I'm going to sum up Peter's retreating, bless me, prosperity gospel. And it says this, bad things should not happen to the people that God loves. Now that may seem obvious, we know that, right? But sometimes in our hearts, we want something else to be true, right? But the truth is, bad things do happen to God's people, right? And just because something bad happens to you, does not mean that God doesn't love you. He still loves you, right? But Peter doesn't seem to think that. He also thinks we should not have to endure abuse or suffering caused by sinful people. All right, how many of you around here are willing to admit that you have sinned and you continue to be sinful? All right, look around you. We are all here. Everyone is raising their hand. We are all sinners. We've all blown it. We are all going to hurt each other. We all have a selfish nature, right? So we're going to endure abuse from each other. We're going to screw up. We're going to offend each other. We're going to disregard, disrespect, you know, consider you unimportant, ignore. It's going to happen. We're sinners, right? So uh, Peter's statement here, Peter, what he says is that we shouldn't have to, Jesus, you have such a high and heavenly rank, you shouldn't have to endure this, right? I mean, these religious people are going to crucify you. You shouldn't have to go through that. You're the Messiah, right? So Peter's motive here is good, but he's completely wrong. And he also believes this. We should retreat when we feel like we're not being appreciated or treated the way we want to be. Jesus, don't let this happen. Heaven doesn't want this. 
right? And so he gets right up in Jesus' face and says, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And I think this prosperity gospel, this idea that only blessings and only good things and God doesn't expect us to go through anything difficult or challenging, I think that's at his motive and that, that God will always continually bless you, Jesus, because you're good. And that is not the case. It is the extreme other direction, right? So this, this gospel is offered, and, and how does Jesus respond to this prosperity, bless me only, retreat from the world, get out of there, stay safe? He says this, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. How many of you would consider that a bad thing to hear from Jesus? Ow. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You, see, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Ow. I mean, he comes full bore rails against what Peter just said. And he nails it. And so let me bring out some key points. When he says Satan, when he calls him Satan... It refers to tempter, the one who is uh, doing tempting, okay? So it's a direct name to Satan. Uh, and he says, you are a dangerous trap to me. He uses the word scandalion, which is scandalon. I don't know how to pronounce it, but that's the word he uses in Greek. And it, it's, it's a word that means stumbling rock. And so when an army was invading uh, at a speed and they were coming at you, you would put stumbling rocks in front of them to cripple them or slow them down. And you would put ones as large as you could to stop the horses from getting run down, right? So these, you are a scandalian, a stumbling rock, a crippling stone to me. That's a different kind of rock than he was talking about before, huh? I'm glad he didn't leave his name as scandalian, you know? Or we'd be saying scandalians, uh, you know, the book of first scandalians, you know? Uh, be a little weird. All right? But he, 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 he says, gives him another name here. Now, this phrase, get away from me, Satan, is a direct quote from what Jesus said to the devil in the temptation in the wilderness. Direct. Word for word, phrase for phrase, one right after another. It's the same thing. So we've got to say, maybe Jesus is drawing an analogy here to what the devil did. He calls them the same word that he calls the devil. And he says, get out of my way or get behind me right? Uh, and so let's go look in, at what Satan did to Jesus in the wilderness. Satan tempts Jesus by offering three different things, three different things, or suggesting three different truths for him. Uh, three different temptations. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, if, you know, you don't have to endure suffering, just turn these stones into bread. You know you can do it, Right? So he says, use your divine power, your privilege, to uh, avoid suffering. Just eat. Take advantage of the power that God has given you and eat. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And the word of the Lord says that you should only, um, that you know, he is the source, or he is the bread of life, and that you, we should seek sustenance from him. And so he's the one I'm going for. I'm not going to avoid suffering. I'm going to pursue my God. And if he wants me to suffer, I suffer. And the next thing he says, well, Jesus, let's, let's go to the top of the temple, the highest point in the temple, 
and let's go angel bungee jumping. And, and what he's kind of saying is, Jesus, I want you to jump off the temple and God's angels will come and rescue you. Because you know they will. You've got to test how much God loves you, how much grace he'll have for you. So you should jump off the temple and test God's grace. Angel bungee, bungee jumping, right? And so uh, that's what he kind of offers. Test God. Push the limits of his grace. Bring it to the edge and see what God will do, you know? Because he's going to save you because he has to because you can put him up against the wall, right? And so that's the suggestion. God, you know, Jesus rejects that one. And then he says, well, Jesus, I'll give you the world. All the kingdoms of this world, I'll give to you. They'll be yours. You don't have to go through anything. I'll give it all to you if you just bow down and worship me, the king of this world. God, uh, you know, Jesus rails directly against that one. He says, you shall, you know, you shall not bow down and worship any other gods. And so the offer there is to say, you can get glory without going through what's gory, right? You can get what is good and, and, you know, what's making and make you happy, all the treasures of this world that I can offer you. You can have them, but you're going to have to disobey God and you'll get out of the suffering, though, if you do this. This is the tempting offer. This is the scandalion that is offered to Jesus. Get out of the suffering. Make it easy. Uh, use your divine privilege to do what you want. Right? That's the offer. Starting to sound a lot like Peter said. You can get out of the suffering. Right? Use your divine privilege. Escape this situation. You don't have to do it. Let's do what we want to do. Let's follow our own selfish desires so we don't have to do what God says is, you know, what God calls us to do. It's, a, it's very, you know, that's why this passage is so well tied together. So, uh, he says, you know, there it is. Uh, how does Jesus handle it? He comes in, calls him Satan. He says, you are speaking from a dangerous human perspective. And so let's talk about what it means to be human, unaware of the presence of God and what he offers us, right? What do we think about he, uh, being a human uh, when we're here on earth? And we think this first, my life is mine and death is the end. Right? I mean, if, it's, if we're not thinking about what God wants for us, death looks like the end to us, doesn't it? And so I should therefore, first thing here, avoid suffering. This is the, that human perspective. We should avoid suffering. I mean, well, this is all we've got, so let's avoid the suffering. Let's, let's get away from it. Let's get out of the challenges, right? Then, since we only have God's grace while we're here on this earth, we should use it to get what we want. We should push the limits of God's grace. And so we should, instead of following God with everything that we are and everything that we do, we should go out and have some fun because this is all we got in this world, right? So we should push his limits, you know, go as far as we possibly can, right? And the third thing here, attain glory without suffering and sacrifice by being disobedient, right? That's human thinking. It's, the, it's what, what uh, Satan offered to Jesus in the desert or in the wilderness. It's what Peter has offered to him now and is what Jesus boldly refuses. And he says, that is human. Stop looking at life through human eyes. Instead, use God's perspective. And so what is God thinking about life? Or what has God revealed to us as humans that we don't figure out on our own? And so here's God's perspective. 
that we need to have about ourselves. We need to think like he thinks, right? I belong to God, and death is only the beginning. So I should. First one, embrace suffering. Embrace suffering. Whatever I can suffer for the Lord is good. Whatever challenges I can, can put into my life that, that I can accomplish for the Lord, that's good. So I should embrace suffering. I shouldn't run from it. I should, I should take it in and accept it. Second thing here is uh, sacrifice my time, energy, and resources, and even my life to exchange this temporary world for the eternal glory of God. And so life becomes about something entirely different when we see things from God's perspective, right? And that's what he's admonishing Peter to do. He says, what you've done is dangerous. And it's damaging. And if I believed it, I would be in rebellion to God. So I don't. I reject it. And instead, I'm going to go with what God says. That this life isn't all there is. I will continue. And then what this life is about is exchanging it for eternal glory. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. So Jesus then finishes with Peter and he turns towards his disciples. And he says our statement for today. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Right? That's what he says for us to do. You've got to pick up your, you know, you, first you've got to drop your selfish ways. And you've got to pick up your cross and follow Jesus till you're dead. Right? Yay, what a great message. Okay, you know, there is some joy in this. And let's just, just talk about what selfish ways are. Um, when I see these things rising up in me, I have to resist them. I have to put them back down. And so here are some selfish ways. Avoid inconvenience and sacrifice. Right? When someone in the church says, we have an opportunity for you to be inconvenienced and to sacrifice from your life. Right? Our selfish desire says, avoid that. Stay away. When your neighbor has great need and they say, I have a really inconvenient situation for you. I need you more than you're willing to give. I, have, I, I need help. Avoid. Uh, I'm busy. Uh, i got to mow my lawn. Uh, the game is on. You know, we say something else. We avoid inconvenience and sacrifice. We retreat from discomfort or suffering, right? Or I run from awkward conversations, you know, or reaching out to new people. Anything that's uncomfortable, let's just kind of stay out of that. I'd rather just stay comfortable and with the people I know. That's just kind of how I want my life to be, right? Uh, another selfish thing I, that rises up within me, I retreat from time-consuming challenges. Like, no, this is taking too much of my life. I have other things to do, right? And so this, this selfish desire says, I got to retreat. Run, they're taking up my time, right? And we want to run. It takes too much out of us. It's, there's too much sacrifice, suffering, time consumption. I would rather go out into the world and embrace pleasurable activities. Instead, instead of doing the spiritual, difficult, suffering, uh, challenging thing, I'm going to go do fun stuff. I'm going to go angel bungee jumping. You know, I'd rather go out in the world. I'd rather play on Facebook. I'd rather uh, go shopping. I'd rather uh, go play sports. I'd rather go do things that I enjoy doing, things that are easy for me. You know, things that I'm naturally just delighted in. That's what I'd rather do. Let's just go fishing, okay? You know? And so that's just kind of what Jesus says. We need to start. Uh, that's what our selfish way is, to embrace pleasurable activities. 
uh, distance yourself from draining and needy people. Uh, when there's somebody that comes in with emotional wounds or they're bleeding or they're kind of weird and they're kind of needy and they kind of suck your time, you just kind of want to, you know, okay, let's put the stiff arm extension out. These are weird people. All right? They're kind of awkward. They make me feel uncomfortable. I hope they don't ask to come over to my house. You know, these are the kind of people I pray that God keeps me away from. And yet he keeps sending them to me. I wonder why, right? And so uh, our natural desire is to distance. I've been talking to the students about this. Uh, Our desire is to keep them at a distance, to be friendly, courteous, and disregarding. Right? Hi, I'm such a good Christian. Thanks for coming to church today. I'll see you next week. Don't talk to me till then. You know, that's unfortunately the way we are. And we've challenged them to love to the max when we've defined that for them. Go on a nice long walk with them. Share a meal with them. Invite them into your home. And if they're the same gender, you should have a sleepover. Right? That's what we've decided love to the maxes. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. So let's do that with awkward, weird, needy people. Right? So that's that's the difference here. But really, we want to, our selfish ways wants to push them away. Right? Prioritize worldly activities over spiritual ones. Well, Justin, I, I can't help. I, I have a, a golf appointment with my brother's landscaping guy. Oh, okay, you know. Or, Laura, um, we're just really busy in life, and it's just uh, it's not going to fit into our schedule. We've just got a lot of other things planned. And, I, and this happens to me a lot, is that I come up and, and I get to offer you something to do to trade in this life of yours for eternal glory. And people keep hold the stuff that burns. Right? They hold the stuff that in the end won't matter. The selfish activities, the the delights of our own uh, selfishness. And so we prioritize these worldly activities over spiritual activities. We have got to smarten up here. If we keep doing these selfish things, our lives are going to waste away to nothing. They're going to become, you know, half of what, or much less than what they could be. So what does it mean to take up your cross? Well, it's the opposite of the selfish thing. So let's go through them really quick because we've kind of already defined them. Obediently embrace inconvenience and sacrifice. Just get excited about it. Somebody comes up and says, I have something to offer you that's going to be inconvenient and it's going to require sacrifice. Be like, yes. Is it for the gospel? Can I advance the kingdom of God? Let's do this. I know I was doing something else. It doesn't matter. I'm so happy that I get to be inconvenienced and have to sacrifice for Jesus. I'm happy about it. Get happy. It's a good thing. You're trading in your temporary life that will amount to nothing for eternal glory. Woohoo! Let's get pumped, right? Joyfully endure discomfort and suffering. We went and took a group of teenagers to Belize. Adults too. Uh, we told them, some of them in the morning, I said, you will be digging a ditch for your missions trip. A nice long ditch, three quarters of a mile long. Here's your stuff. Bad tools, bad conditions. They have terrible nightmarish bugs in Belize. Um, these things called doctor flies, they cut open your skin and they drink your blood. Uh, and they, when they get you, it hurts. Like, whoa. And you're bleeding afterwards. Blood runs down your leg. Uh, that's, there's like lots of them. There's mosquitoes and they're digging in a swamp. Right? Um, and they're sleeping among scorpions. And uh, their mattresses smell horrible. There's no mattress cleaning company. And they're about this thick on plywood, right? And they have, sleep under mosquito nets. And 
And it's funny, I, I, I never saw the girls' cabin, but the boys' cabin, they all slept curled up in their underwear. Because it was, and they sweat all night long. And they did not sleep well. I never went in there and didn't see people stirring. You know, and so under the worst circumstances, you would expect, you know, our supposedly self-absorbed teenagers to be like, oh, this is so terrible. Why are you going to ask me to work? I hate working. You know, they just, they were like, woke up in the morning. They're like, hey, how are you doing? You know, just excited as could be. Uh, what am I, what are we going to do today? You're going to go dig a ditch. Sweet. Get to dig a ditch for Jesus. You're going to get bit by bugs that made you bleed and vampire flies. Yeah! You know, and, and it's in a swamp. Woo! You know, they get excited about suffering. What is wrong with these kids? These are not American teenagers. I don't know who possessed them. Must have been Jesus, right? Because they like suffering. They had a good time digging a ditch in insane heat in the middle of a swamp. No ocean view. You know, that there was something wrong with them. They found joy in these activities that were horrible. You know, I started doing it with them, and I was like, this is terrible. How are you guys happy? You know, I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader, and they're showing me what's going on. Right? They're enjoying suffering for the Lord. So they discarded their pleasurable activities. They could have gone swimming. You know, uh, we do the same thing. Uh, we need to do the same thing, I should say. And so just embrace the suffering. Just be like, sweet, I got an inconvenience. I had to suffer. I had to do things I didn't want to do. It was very uncomfortable. I was awkward. Now they're in my house. You know, they came over. They ate my freezer empty, you know. They had all my Hot Pockets. I'm looking at one in particular here. Anyway, who eats my Hot Pockets? But it's a joy, right? It's a joy. Prioritize spiritual activities over worldly ones. Man, if you've got to cancel something that's going to get no credit in heaven to do something that's going to get credit in heaven, no matter how simple or seemingly unimportant, right? If it's going to get credit in heaven, why is there an option? Let's just cancel it, man. Let's just go do the stuff we do for the Lord, right? Let's just do this. Let's stop prioritizing the things that are going to burn. And so why does Jesus tell us to put down our, put down our selfish desires, the things that we do to, to take care of us or to preserve our wonderful life that we've made in this world? Why does he tell us to put them down and instead come beside him and pick up a heavy cross and bear suffering and burden and inconvenience and change of life plans and reschedulement and, and disregarding of the world. Why does he tell us to do this? I mean, Justin, this message sounds great, but it sounds like really hard. And there's joy in this. He offers it to us because it seems crazy, but like the teenagers who live among blood-sucking flies in 100-degree heat in a swamp in the middle of nowhere, they found joy. You'll find joy. I know it's weird. It doesn't make sense, but you will. You'll find joy. You'll find joy that you didn't know could happen before. you find sleep at night in the presence of the Lord. you find an example for your children. you find so many good things in doing this ministry. So do it. But that's not the only reason that Jesus tells us to pick up his, pick up his cross. Right? Pick up your cross and follow you. Follow him. He says it uh, best in his, his kind of last statements here. He says, If you try... To hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What Jesus is kind of saying is, death is not the end. 
And so take what you have in this life and please use it for the glory of God. Because this is not all there is. Uh, I know that Christ wants you to be saved. That is his first and greatest desire, that you would trust him as Lord and Savior. But after that, he has a desire to reward your very soul. Right? That is what he's excited about too. After he gets you, he wants to pack you full of eternity. And you are not going to do that with your selfish ways. Right? That is not going to happen by following your selfish ways. So he's begging us to pick up our cross and do what he does so our souls become packed with the things that last into eternity. Because the worst worry, be, you know, worst worry is that you go into the judgment of hell. But the second worst worry is that you come into heaven as one who smells of smoke like they escaped the flames. That's what he's scared about for us. He wants us to come into heaven full of His glory. And He doesn't want us to just kind of stroll in saying, Hey, how are you guys doing? What would you do for Christ? I, I accepted Him. What else did you do? That was it. Your whole life got burned up, man. You smell like smoke. Because in the judgment, God says, I'm going to come and judge. He's going to burn that which is not eternal, which will not survive eternity. Anything that we didn't do for Christ, goodbye. Your boat, your amazing vacations, goodbye. Right? The money that we spent on things that were other than the kingdom of God, sorry. The time that we spent, you know, all those things, up in smoke. And what lasts is the suffering and the things we endured, the jobs we did, the tasks we took on, the prayers we gave, the things that we did for the glory of God. That is all we're going to heaven with. Hopefully, Jesus has convinced you here. Don't go through living selfishly, but instead do this. And so, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. So application one. What does Jesus want first? Application. Here it is. First thing is, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please, I am begging you, today is the day. Right? Trade in. Here it is. Trade in or exchange this temporary life that ends in death for eternal life in heaven with Jesus. That's the first thing. That is primary. Please do that first. Say to Jesus, I'm sorry for who I am and who I've been and the selfish ways that I've lived. Please forgive me for them as Lord and Savior by what you did on the cross. Take me to heaven with you. I now accept you. Please, and, and you're giving yourself to Christ. You say, Lord, I now belong to Jesus. And I am His. He is my Lord and my Savior. So I encourage you, do that today. That is the entrance ticket to heaven. That is taking the key, right? That is accepting the key you know, that we're giving out freely in the name of Christ. But second application, after you've done that, after you've exchanged your life for His, continue to walk in that. Application two, know that it will cost you everything and seek to pay that price that price. Uh, this is the hardest challenge. You have to go out and try to pay the price. You have to try. You have to put some effort forth. You don't just wait for somebody to come and ask. You seek to pay the price. You try to find situations where God commands you to be, you know, that, that God, you can be inconvenienced or sacrifice or suffer or be challenged or commit to something that's time-consuming for Jesus, right? 
you've got to try. You've got to go out and get it. So don't just sit in here and then wait and then go out and just keep waiting for something, but go pursue. Try to pay the price. Try to get as much of this temporary life into your eternal soul as you possibly can because it will last you forever. Do it. Do it, right? It's going to last. Um, thank God that you were called to suffer and sacrifice with Christ. Uh, people that have the challenge, uh, they like having to get... I don't know what is wrong with these people, but you meet them usually in the KOTK, and they do these really frustrating, annoying jobs, and they like it. You know, and, and they serve children, and they find the little treasures with them, and they, and they embrace and they nurture the Spirit of God living within them, right? And they do these great things. And then others of us look and say, that's kind of annoying. That's kind of challenging. That's kind of exhausting, right? They have learned to enjoy it, right? They thank God that they get called to, to serve and to suffer and to do these things. It doesn't feel like serving and suffering to them once they do that with the attitude of Christ. Their whole mindset changes. They experience joy. And the, the things that used to bother them don't. Next one here is do not lose heart. Do not retreat. Uh, if you've been doing ministry and you're just really tired, take a breather, sure, but don't lose heart. Keep going. If you've stepped out, if you've retreated, if you've pulled back, turn up, hit the gas and charge in again because this is not a kingdom of retreat. We attack, right? We charge, we push in, we press in, we continue. If you look in the scriptures and you look for words like endure, patience, uh, 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 faithfulness, uh, long-suffering, uh, Ongoing, you know, just these words that mean continue, press on, charge. You find them all over the place. You, every 15 sentences, you'll find another command to charge, press on, hold fast, go, go, go. How many times do you find retreat and step out and get out of there and avoid them? You know, there's some avoiding if people are trying to convince you to not press on, right? But by far, the charge is charge. It's push, go, 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 right? So... Change your attitude to grateful joy and get tough. Pastor Dan was uh, talking to, to uh, Pastor Rich and I about finding a new um, worship leader uh, for our church. And what is, the, what is the first thing that he said? I need somebody with thick skin. I need somebody with thick skin. You remember how we all raised our hands and we all work among sinners? And we're all screw-ups ourselves, so it's just kind of a mess. And it's going to be a little brutal sometimes. And you've got to have thick skins. If you get offended or something doesn't go your way or you're not getting treated the way you want, you've got to have some thick skin saying, I'm doing this for the gospel. So be tough. And that's what we need to expect from each other. Jump, come on. Get your guts on. Let's roll here. Let's do this. Let's follow Christ and let's not give up. Be faithful. Endure. Stand firm. And be strong to the end. Right? When he, say, he didn't say, pick up your walking stick and follow me. He said, picked up something that meant death in the end. All the way till you're done. You might think you're done, you're not done. If you're breathing, start working. Right? And let's do this. I want to tell a story before I close here. Um, uh, actually, I got some other things, but I keep throwing this story in at different points, but now it seems good. Um, there's a lady that my dad introduced me to when I was about seven or eight years old, and her name was Tilly. And... Uh, just to know about Tilly, she was born with some bad health. The systems of her body were just needed constant medical care. Uh, she just had it rough. Her legs didn't work well. Her muscular system didn't work well. Her intestines didn't work well. Her respiratory system didn't work well. 
Everything was a challenge. And my, I don't know how my dad ever found this lady, uh, but he did. And he loved her. And he cared about her. And when she was well enough, she would bring, he would bring her to our house and she would hang out with us. And you would think, you know, that a person with such a difficult life would be sad. Let me tell you a little more about that life. Um, when she was 18 years old or 19, um, she was spending her time in children's hospitals. But after that point, uh, she was under some, uh, a government form of care. And the cheapest way to take care of an 18-year-old adult was to put them in a nursing home. And so she spent all her time from 18 years on in a nursing home, living among people 50, 60, and 70 years older than her. Right? That was her life. Um... And one day, my brother Aaron, being kind of innocent, um, came and asked Tilly in front of all of us, don't you get sad, Tilly? That's hot. I got to ride my bike today. You never get to ride a bike. You've never ridden a bike. You know? Don't you get sad about your life? And she goes, Aaron, I've never been kissed by a boy. I've never ridden a bike, never done most of the wonderful things you enjoy and love doing, but I love my life. God's given me a mission. And here are four boys sitting, trying to listen to this. And my dad is sitting in there. He's crying. To, I mean, all of us just blown away by this. She said, who else is going to reach out to them? I mean, people may come and visit them, even their own family, but who's going to come and live with them like Jesus lived with us? Who's going to be there with them and, and, and endure with them? And so I don't mind that Jesus has caused, called me to suffer for them. I love them. Um, I get to tell them about Jesus before the end. And if that's my mission and that's what I do for Jesus, amen, I love it. And uh, that changed all of us. Um, this sickly, weak woman was filled with the exploding glory of God. She was it. I mean, she was amazing. And when she died, uh, we wept so hard. Picture those four boys with fire. But I'm so glad I got to be one of them. She prayed for us. She told us about God's glory. She lived an example. It blew us away, and she sent us on mission with no excuses. Uh, when we get to heaven, she's going to make look, most of us look like chumps. The exploding glory of God in her. And that is what God wants for us when he asks us to pick up the cross. To let go of our excuses of why we can't and why we shouldn't and how we've got other things to do and other places to be. And we've got to get busy doing. So pursue to pay the price and if, if it gets tough, I'm going to challenge you with this verse, or encourage you, I guess, with this verse. 1 Peter 4.19 So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right, and trust your lives to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. Amen? When it's over, and you've done it all, and if you've trusted your life and you gave it all, exploding glory of God, you will be a light in heaven. 
not one who's just smells of smoke because their whole life got burned up, but filled with the glory of God. So it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing. Application three, get involved in a ministry. Something that's demanding. Don't be afraid of it. I tell my students, be a little reckless when it comes to commitment to ministry. Get a little reckless. Do something that's going to cost you a little bit more than you want to pay. That's going to challenge you. That's going to take your time. Get in it. Just do it. Right? And other things, be very careful and thoughtful and wise. But know that when you get into ministry, the more it draws out of you, the more God is going to fill you back up. The more he's going to push you and challenge you and grow you and fill you with his glory. So get in something that's demanding. Get in something that's inconvenient. Something that consumes a lot of time. That requires a large amount of commitment and sacrifice. Right? Just get in. Just do it. And then when it tramples on other things that you thought were so important, celebrate. Get happy about it. It's a good thing, right? You want a ministry that gives you opportunity to exchange your worldly pleasures for eternal glory. Get in it. Get busy. And get into heaven full of glory. Amen? So Christ then says this closing statement that I've been alluding to the whole time. He says, For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and He will judge all people according to their deeds. Right? So He's kind of alluding to this last day. He's stating it very clearly. Here, don't lose your life. Give it for my sake. Because when I come back, I'm going to reward you. Right? I'm going to come in the full glory of God. And I'm going to give you back sometimes 10, 30, 100 times fold what you gave here. I'm going to reward you. It will be worth it. You can trust me. And so he says, I'm coming back. And he says, I tell you the truth. Some are, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So we've got to assume that he was talking about when he came back and he was in his fully resurrected state and he was teaching them and commissioning them to go and accomplish the work of the gospel, right? And so they got to see him glorified coming in his kingdom, right? But we are still his kingdom advancing. And we, in order to do it, we're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to do the challenging things. We're going to have to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Amen? Will you pray with me? Lord, we're just so thankful that these meaningless lives that we could have lived have been redeemed by what you did on the cross, by the life that you lived and the truths that you gave. And so we're so, uh, we're so grateful and so filled with joy because you have given us a life that can be made for eternity, transformed into something that lasts and lasts and lasts, that's filled with the glory of God. So God, help us to not uh, retreat, to not escape, to not give up, to not lose hope, but to keep pressing and pouring out our lives as an offering and a sacrifice to you, Jesus. God, commission us to work in the children's ministry, to go in the KOTK, Lord, to go into the youth ministries, to go into all the things that we could do in this church. They require time and commitment and sacrifice and use them for your glory and to turn our lives into something eternal. But God, we're excited about what we're doing here in our church. We're excited about what we can be doing in our world. So help us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.